Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, we're going to take a look at a really interesting uh, topic, that of sanctuary cities, the legality of uh, illegal immigrants. What legal laws and rights do they have? Uh, it's an interesting uh, subject to take a look at, and it's in the news a lot. Also, later today, we're going to talk to an Imperial Academy student about some of the activities going on at that school here on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College. That and more, this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. Any emails you'd like to send, send those along. Comments at kpcg.fm. We're happy to take a look at those. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today. Heading into this weekend, you guys are heading down pretty soon to that uh, Robber's Cave weekend down in Oklahoma. And uh, that's an annual camp out that the college and faculty do down there. So uh, you looking forward to it? You excited? We're leaving about an hour after this show. So we're really excited. Uh, thankfully, we'll have some time this afternoon to just drive down there at our own slow pace and enjoy the scenery. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, we were talking about that before. It's a little bit of a, I don't know if you call it a desolate drive, but there's not a whole lot. You know, it's interesting. I've lived in Oklahoma for, oh boy, it's been 18 years. And uh, there's still a lot of little communities that I just don't know exist. For example, I was watching the local news last night, and they had highlights from the high school basketball tournament on. And they were mentioning these different towns that were playing, and I did not know a majority of them or where they were from. Like, you know, you know Oklahoma City, you know Edmond, you know Tulsa, some of those, but they, there's a lot of little towns out there. And I like I have never even heard of them, so I'm a little I was a little embarrassed for my lack of <laughs> Oklahoma State knowledge. Well, it's the same for me, and I've been here basically my whole life except for about a year and a half. So uh, it's that's definitely true. It's actually become a hobby of mine recently, just to sometimes drive out. Don't really have a destination in mind, but just to see what the rest of the state has to offer, because you don't usually. Uh, go out there and see some of these tiny towns. Yeah, the thing that always fascinates me is businesses that you know at some point they really thought this is going to take off and be something, and then you see it uh, now and there's nothing. It's abandoned. Right. Like if you're driving up to uh, Wichita, there's an outlet mall that just there's nothing there. Oh no! But I, I, you know, it's a small outlet mall, and I just always think, man, you know, they had high hopes. And then it just didn't. And there are websites dedicated to that. I think it's uh, Dead Malls of America, mm. where there's just all these shopping centers that used to exist. And actually, yesterday we were in town doing some errands, and I was telling my kids about, yeah, a lot of this didn't used to be here. A lot of this is new, like out by the Quail Springs Mall area. And uh, a lot of that wasn't there. So the, the, this area has really boomed lately. Yeah, that's one of just many things that a business owner or someone who's starting up a business has to consider because... If you are going to a place that's already well populated and and well traveled, obviously you're going to be paying a whole lot more and you're going to be competing with a lot more businesses. So 
I guess the other option is to just start someplace where you think it might start growing, which it has been doing like right around the corner from campus. A lot of things have been popping up, which has been pretty nice for us. We don't have to drive 15 minutes to get to anything like we used to. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because uh, you, you see also like the one remaining house in some areas where they're building up businesses. And it's like the last holdout, <laughs> and it still looks like a personal property, but the the city is crushing them from all sides. And so right. I figure, well, they're gonna have to sell and get out pretty soon. Maybe they can make some money on it. But you know, when they first built there, I'm sure it was just open fields, and now they've got the city coming in from every direction. So. I'm visualizing one in town. That, yeah. I don't know. You're probably thinking of the exact same one, but it's right. It's like this this really small house and there's like a gym right next to it and like a video store yeah. and all this stuff that's just closing in how long do you hold out and say <laughs> no no i'm not moving eventually you'd, you'd probably just have to uh some headlines to take a look at today this is a store that's developing now so i'm sure we'll know more about it as the weekend goes on but uh two reportedly shot at central michigan university gunmen armed and dangerous at the time that we're doing this live uh they still haven't found that individual so anyway that's a Ongoing story, and there'll be more about that. They did not have, at this time, the uh, condition of those that were shot. So hopefully hopefully not as bad as it could be, but, uh, you know, these things really hit the headlines, especially because the gun debate is raging. So we don't know the details yet, but that's some of the breaking news right now. Yeah, and there are a lot of questions that always come up after something like this happens. Um, and like you said, this is really bad timing for another shooting like this because of how angry some people already are about every one of the millions of gun owners in America and somehow blaming them for the problem. Um, and, and this, it also raises a question of whether it could have been a copycat shooter, which is what happens a lot when some of these different outlets give nonstop coverage to someone like the Parkland shooter. People see that on the news and think, well, I might as well become famous somehow. And, and someone crazy could very well go out and carry out an attack just like that. Yeah. It's uh bad situation there. So anyway, that's breaking out in a Michigan, uh, Central Michigan University. This weekend, there's going to be some pretty severe weather. It's going to affect quite a few people in the U.S. A nor'easter bears down on the East Coast as California braces for its own storm. Both coasts getting uh, hit. Evacuations underway on both coasts because of potential mudslides and things in California there. It says residents from the Carolinas to Maine are in line of fire from the developing nor'easter that's set to tear through the east coast, bringing flooding rain, high winds, and heavy snow, as well as coastal flooding and erosion. There's going to be 12 inches of snow in Buffalo. <laughs> Six to 12. They're used to it, though. Can we tell the weather that it's March already? <laughs> Can we get past this horrible winter madness? Isn't it? Is it March that comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb or vice versa? <laughs> Probably right. Lamb and I don't remember. Yeah. Some, something people's you know grandparents used to tell them uh it says the heavy rain will hit parts of the eastern great lakes today and then continue to move east by this evening bringing heavy rain overnight to washington dc philadelphia and new york city snow is falling in detroit and cleveland uh they say about one in four americans are going to feel the effects from this storm of course the uk's got their own storm going on too there some 80 million people are in the storm's path along the East Coast, and they'll suffer through high winds, over 50 miles an hour. That's an average day in Oklahoma. And uh, flooding and <laughs> snowfall. So this particular storm will be a powerful one, and Nor'easter is considered a bomb cyclone. We've heard that term recently. It sounds cool. <laughs> when it drops 24 millibars in 24 hours, this one is expected to drop 
uh, 35 millibars in 24 hours. What's a millibar, you say? It's not a snack. <laughs> it's a uh, pressure measurement that tells the strength of the storm. They say just remember that the lower the storm's pressure, the stronger s- storm it is. So when it's this massive drop, it could be quite a severe storm. And then the West Coast is facing their own major storm. Uh, they could have some heavy snow in the mountains and possibly flooding on the coast. Areas in Santa Barbara and uh, Montecito, where rain is expected to hit on Friday through the weekend, they have some mandatory evacuations because of the potential for mudslides. They had those bad mudslides a while ago, and so I think now they're they're trying to get ahead of it uh, and having people evacuate. And like we always say, no matter where you go in the country or in the world, you can't escape the weather. We're always subject to the elements, and we have a great booklet at thetrumpet.com, Why Natural Disasters, that documents how these weather disasters have gone up a lot in recent years. People can blame climate change or whatever they want to for that, but the actual uh, reason for it is in that booklet. Yeah, that's a great booklet to get. Uh, this, listen to how severe this could be in California. In northern California's Sierra Nevada mountain range, blizzard conditions and several feet of snow are anticipated. The area may also face near zero visibility and winds topping 100 miles an hour. Oh. Hopefully there's not too many people in that area, but but it is something you have to consider. I know when we were in uh, Washington recently, they had just a little bit of snow coming in, and I was watching the weather, and they start talking about the mountain passes, which is something we don't think about here, but like you have to be very careful anywhere you have mountain ranges because the mountain passes and the snow. So they in some they have a map here, and they show that some parts could get five to six feet of snow. So hopefully uh, those— In California, you said? Yeah. Wow. Just in some of the mountain range areas, and then then even into like uh, Idaho and and Utah and some of those. So it's it's a big storm coming in on the west coast, coming in on the east coast, and here in Oklahoma, we're just enjoying beautiful sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but both coasts are getting squashed. Yeah, it's one of the few times where we can boast about the seventy degree weather when it usually there are places year round that are experiencing that. We're getting that right now, where some of these other utopian weather locations are getting it pretty bad yeah next i think in the next couple of weeks uh they're thinking we might start getting into that severe weather possibility here in oklahoma springtime and of course you get tornadoes and things so we'll have our go of it i'm sure here pretty soon uh this is a really interesting story it's from the los angeles times it's been in the news a lot lately justice department reviewing oakland mayor's tip-off of immigration raids which led to 232 arrests so you're you might remember this the Oakland mayor decided to tell the community that they were about to have ice raids and uh, just as a warning. The, the White House on Thursday said the Department of Justice was reviewing the actions of Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, who uh, late or sorry last weekend alerted residents in advance of an immigration and customs enforcement raid in Northern California. I think it's outrageous that a mayor would circumvent federal authorities and certainly put them in danger by making a move such as that, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders told reporters. Uh, the mayor there defended herself in a statement, uh, saying, or defended the statement she made, saying she felt it was her duty to warn residents of the ICE action. Oakland, like many California cities, has declared itself a sanctuary for those here illegally, and officials there have vowed to fight President Trump's immigration crackdown. She won praise from the officials in California, no surprise, but the Trump administration has rebuked her. So uh, they're quite upset in the Trump administration. I think I can understand why. But then you've got these cities that are saying they're going to do their own thing, and there's these states that are going to do their own thing. So you have this battle over illegal immigrants between the federal government and the, the local state governments. 
And what this does, and it's been proven through many specific instances, is it actually hurts American citizens. I found this uh, Greg Gutfeld monologue. He's from Fox News, and he said uh, about a year ago in February, sanctuary cities cloak evil consequences. And he brought up this example of the Denver mayor refusing to hold someone in in prison for even just an extra half an hour or a couple of hours until ICE officials could get there. This person had uh, ties to different gangs, and this mayor refused to keep him in prison just to, just until the federal authorities got there. Uh, so this person got out and actually robbed and murdered someone at a train station right after he got out. Oh, no. uh, this, so this is an example of someone who is a law-abiding American citizen being uh, assaulted and murdered by an illegal who was in prison. They already had him captured, and they just needed to keep him for a few more minutes, and they refused to do it. This, this is not an issue of expense. Keeping them in there for a couple more hours is not going to cost you a ton more money. Yeah, that's where... It feels like they, whoever makes a decision to let somebody out like that, they really should have some responsibility for that person's actions once they're let out. You know, uh, particularly, I, I, in some ways, that's kind of a dangerous thing because you don't know what people are going to do. But if they are a criminal, they they should legally be held, and you decide now let them go. It does seem like there should be some responsibility there. I mean, how much different is it if if it's somebody that say has a a dangerous dog? Right, and they they know it's a danger, and they don't pay attention. They let it off the leash, and it goes and it attacks somebody. I mean, most cases they have some responsibility in that, and I think this principle is sort of the same. I mean, if you are responsible for the public safety, you have somebody that is breaking laws, and they should at least be held for a time. And you say, "Nah, let them go," and they go out and they do something. Well, how are you not responsible on some level for that? Exactly, and it does need to be cleared up what we're talking about when. Uh, when we when we say that local law enforcement officials should be helping federal officials, no one's saying that the local police has to go door to door and start picking up people for deportation. It's just literally as simple as keeping them in these jail cells, in these prisons for just a little bit longer until the federal officials show up and detain them themselves. That's all it is. And these leftist leaders are refusing to even let that happen uh this is what that mayor said last year uh, he said if being a sanctuary city means that we value taking care of one another and welcoming refugees and immigrants then i welcome the title and then greg gutfeld concluded his monologue he said too bad that the murdered victim isn't alive to tearfully applaud that sanctimonious blather uh, what about the people who are suffering because of policies like that yeah, and we'll talk about some of like the legalities here in just a minute because it's interesting to look at what the law says about some of these things and and as we'll see, I mean, the states do have according to the law, they they have a right to not not get involved or not assist, but at the same time, it's gone from that to actually fighting against the fed. It it gets to be, you know, they're they're kind of on the line as far as I think what they should be doing. Well, but. it's an extremely spiteful, lawless attitude like you said they're directly going against the federal government. They're not just standing by and refusing to help. They're actively assisting these gang members and these other violent criminals, uh, letting them go back out on the street for who knows what reason. I mean, there's not there's not any logical sense to something like that. Yeah, in, in this case in Oakland, the 
somebody was that was defending the mayor said, as she stated it, it was her purpose to make her community safe. She gave a general warning. She did not tell individuals to make a run for it. Well, I mean, I just feel like, well, what are we children? You know what's being said. You don't have to be told specifically make a run for it. A lot of people made a run for it. Uh, and the, the mayor there said in Oakland, my statement on Saturday was meant to give all residents time to learn their rights and know their legal options. Uh, then she said it was my intention that one mother or one father would use the information to help keep their family together. Well, that sounds nice. Uh, in the fiscal year 2017, ICE arrested 20,201 people across the state of California. Of those, 81% had criminal convictions. 81. I mean, they're trying to paint it like, okay, if we just ignore the illegal immigration status for a second. They're trying to make it out like these are people that are just going to their jobs, working hard, trying to have a family. 81% of the people they got are convicted of uh, uh, criminals, of criminal activity of some kind. So they're... <laughs> It, it just ignoring even the Ill- illegal immigration status, they're committing crimes in the United States. Right. They're committing crimes beyond being here illegally in the first place, which is also a crime that no one wants to acknowledge as a crime. They just act like these people are here. They're, they're all working hard. They're not 75% of them on welfare, which is almost the actual percentage of uh, how many are are not really contributing. They're actually just taking money from the taxpayers. There's nothing good from something like this. And then obviously the really serious part is the danger that some of these people pose. Uh, A lot of leftists try to argue that American citizens also commit crimes. They also hurt other people. But the thing with that is they're already here. You can't just deport people who are from America to another country. But if people aren't supposed to be here, you can do a lot to keep them out of the country so that they're not hurting people, too. Yeah. Pat Buchanan uh, had an interesting write up and he, he said this. He said the greatest risk we are taking here in the U.S. based upon utopianism is the annual importation of well over a million legal and illegal immigrants, many from failed states of the third world. In the belief we can create a united, peaceful, and harmonious land of 400 million composed of every race, religion, ethnicity, tribe, creed, culture, and language on earth. He said, where is the historic evidence for the success of this experiment, the failure of which could mean the end of America's one nation and one people? That's a good question. I know there's a lot of emotional arguments on the other side, but that's a really good question. Where is the historic evidence where this has ever worked? Well, that's that's a really good question. And, I mean, that's even in the Pledge of Allegiance and uh, for America. It's one nation under God. We've already gone so far as to completely get rid of God. But what if we have basically dozens or hundreds of little nations uh, within a nation where all these different people fail to assimilate? They're basically separated into their own ethnic or cultural or racial groups and they all speak different languages they don't have anything in common are they going to come together to fight for what's right if they can't even agree on what's right or if there is a threat externally are they going to come together and fight that in unity the way they should obviously not and that's why like this like this man says like pat buchanan says there is no example in history where something like this has ever worked. Uh, it's basically uh, other people come in and they will pillage. They will take everything they can from your nation until there's nothing left. I mean, that's what happened with uh, Rome when the Vandals invaded. I mean, it's it's happened throughout history. People don't just come in uh, and and hope to you know just 
live alongside you, if they're not coming in to be an American first, it's a big problem. Right. And that's, if you look in the Bible, ancient Israel, you, there was allowed, God allowed people to come into that nation, but they had to assimilate and become part of Israel's uh, religious system that become, you know, speak the language, all those different things. And so, and like you said today, we don't see that. We just see this, this, these fractured groups. Uh, w- what's the law on all of this? It was kind of interesting to look at, uh, judge Andrew, uh, Napolitano had this, uh, sanctuary cities and the rule of law. He said the concept of a sanctuary city does not mean it is a place where federal law is unenforced by the feds. Rather, it is a place where local authorities have elected not to spend their tax dollars helping the feds to enforce federal law. Uh, however, if you look at the story earlier, they're actually fighting against what the feds are trying to do. So it's going even further than what the law might be. It says the term sanctuary city is not a legal term, but it's a political one. The Trump administration has used the term to characterize the governments of towns and cities that have created safe havens for those who have overstayed their visas <laughs> or never had one in the first place <laughs> by refusing to tell the feds who these folks are and where they can be found. Can local authorities refuse to help the feds enforce federal law? He says, in a word, yes. There is no legal obligation on the part of the local authorities to help the feds with manpower or resources or data to enforce federal law within the jurisdiction of those local authorities. But then, of course, does this mean that the states can work to undermine the federal authorities by warning the illegal immigrants that they're coming? You know, that's where they're really stretching what they could even do under the law. And... The question then becomes, okay, well, do illegal immigrants have rights in the United States? It says, uh, this is from The Hill, these words from Section 1 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution rank along with the Constitution's Bill of Rights, as in these uh, uh, precincts, the most important in world and American history. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. And so because it says any person, they've expanded that to mean any person, legal or illegal, in the United States. And that's a really big, a huge stretch uh, and it wouldn't be that hard to envision the founding fathers just being appalled by this, uh, I, I guess, this interpretation of these words. It, it's They would not have supported uh, millions of people overrunning America illegally. Otherwise, why would a legal system have ever been established? It just completely goes contrary to the law of the land, which they helped to establish and uphold. Yeah, it's interesting because... If you just keep going with this thinking, which I think is a misinterpretation of the law pretty clearly, and that and, and that's written about a lot at thetrumpet.com, about how the judges are supposed to interpret the law, or apply it rather, not interpret it and, and make it say what they want. Well, this is one of those cases where it's so obvious they didn't have, they didn't even think they had to write in American person. Why, why would they even think that uh, that should be stated? Right. It's gone so far now where people are just scouring documents like that, not to learn how valuable they are, but to find any loophole that they can exploit uh, for whatever horrible reason that they might have. I mean, obviously, it's talking about Americans, people who are supposed to be here. If you're not supposed to be here, why do you get the opportunity to lawyer up and fight it when in any other country in the rest of the world, you would get kicked out no problem? Well, it's interesting, too, because this this document being the Constitution that I think they're 
they're using as a quote unquote a living, evolving document, meaning they can make it say whatever they want. They're saying, well, this is the law, right? Uh, but the people that are here and being allowed to stay here because of a misinterpretation of this, they don't follow the law. So it 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 has no meaning it, for that. You don't. You can only establish law if you actually have a nation. If you don't have a nation, you can write any document you want. I could write a, a charter for Russia right now. They don't <laughs> care. It doesn't matter to them because I have no authority in Russia. So you you have to have borders. You have to have uh, a group of people that follow the law, that live by it and according to it. They say most recently the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a, a case in 2001 that due process of the 14th Amendment applies to all aliens in the United States whose presence may be or is unlawful, involuntary, or transitory. But even even the way they're describing what they think the law should be here, it doesn't say you can stay forever and there's no problems. It just says, okay, well, there has to be due process. So in other words, they can come get you. They can put you on trial and then see what the, the result is. And then you serve the punishment, which in most cases would be to leave the country or be, be removed. So, okay, but even but they're even not even they're not even doing that. They're telling people to get out of town while the getting's good. So even though they've expanded the meaning of person here to anybody, um, they're even violating even what they're saying because it doesn't mean that the law is no no hold on them. It just means you have right to due process. Right, and due process is a great thing. I mean, no one, uh, not a one of us would ever want to get kicked out of the country without any proof that we're an illegal for some reason. Uh, obviously, we'd want to be able to present documents and prove that we're here uh, legitimately. Uh, so that's that's what due process is talking about. You don't want to be just abused by the system. But if people can't present documents that show they're allowed to be here, why why do we make it so complicated? Why why do we allow who knows how many it is now, like 20 million, 40 million? It could be up there and, and beyond in terms of the amount of illegals in this country right now. And it's just, it's it's a complete mockery of the entire system. Yeah, well, and you can see how this is being so abused. I mean, this uh, write-up finishes by saying aliens, legal or illegal, have the full uh, rights of constitutional protections American citizens have with three exceptions. Voting, some government jobs, and gun, gun ownership uh, so that is now in doubt. Well, how many are voting? How come they don't want voter ID laws? It's so that you can let the illegals vote, right? Exactly. So they are voting. Some government jobs, I don't know about Not that. all government jobs, it's Not says. all. How, how can you get a government <laughs> job? And then gun ownership. Well, they can get guns illegally, get them anywhere. I mean, they're not registering the guns because they, they couldn't register them. That would out them as illegals. So... Uh, they're just really stretching what the Constitution says here and causing a lot of problems. Yeah, and something that we don't talk about when this issue comes up, we don't talk about enough at least, and, and that's just discussing the media in general, is that people who come here illegally from the very start don't respect the country that they came into. You could you could name any nation. If I respect England, I'm not going to go there and break the law and stay there illegally because I respect the idea of that nation and I respect the idea that it has laws that should, should be upheld there. If you come here illegally in the first place, you don't respect the law of this nation and you're going to be more likely, just logically speaking, to break more laws once you're here. I mean, that is... That is just a fundamental point that is often overlooked. So what we're basically doing is allowing millions of people to come here who don't respect this nation and what it stands for. They don't respect the nation's laws. That's that's by definition because they came here by breaking the law in the first place. 
it's uh, going to be more and more trouble, uh, and it just continues to be, and, and yet they they continue to fight about it in the courts. And so uh, really an interesting topic. It's interesting to look at just some of the legalities there as well, but that, again, they, they really stretch the law in a lot of cases. Uh, here's another note. This is also, uh, we mentioned Pat Buchanan earlier. He's got an interesting write-up here on WND. Wars and rumors of wars. He got that out of the Bible. <laughs> Fatal Delusions of Western Man. It says leaders have adopted policies rooted in hopes unjustified by reality. And he's talking specifically about China. He said, we got China wrong. Now what? <laughs> Ran the headline over the column in the Washington Post. Remember how American engagement with China was going to make the communist backwater more like the People's Republic to coexist benignly with its neighbors and the West? Um Oh, sorry, I jumped a line there. They were going to make the communist backwater more like the democratic capitalist West, rather. America's elites believe that the economic engagement and the opening of the U.S. markets would cause the People's Republic to coexist benignly with its neighbors and the West. We deluded ourselves. It did not happen. Xi Jinping just changed China's constitution to allow him to be dictator for life. That's talked about in the Trumpet Hour this last week. He continues to thieve intellectual property from U.S. companies and to occupy and fortify uh, islets in the South China Sea, which we talked about the other day, which Beijing now claims is entirely its own. Meanwhile, China sustains North Korea as Chinese warplanes and warships circumnavigate Taiwan, threatening its independence. And it goes on and on and talks about all the things that are happening there. Uh, China has become empowered and uh, he says, we fed the tiger and created a monster. <laughs> What's going on over there in China? Yeah, and I found out that this has actually been warned about for quite a while. This was way back in 2012. Congressman Dana Rohrabacher, a Republican from California, said, we are getting our just reward for a stupid policy. We have built China into a major economic power without demanding any type of political reform. We permitted them to steal our technology. They get away with murder quite literally when it comes to dissidents. We have created a monster. So here it is, the same exact language. We've been saying it for a long time, or at least various leaders have. Uh, and people, are, I guess, are not taking that uh, to heed. Uh, they said, what was a very, he said, what was a very weak country before? We have permitted them to build into a massive economic power with, of course, our industrial leaders making a profit by their doing that. So it, it helps... Our industrial leaders, so I guess it's fine to create a power that's pretty soon going to be greater than America itself. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Buchanan wrote, who's responsible for this? He says the elites of both parties, Bush Republicans from the 1990s, granted China most favored nation status and threw open America's market. The result, China has run up a $4 trillion in trade surpluses with the United States, which President Trump's trying to counteract now. Uh, her $375 billion trade surplus with us in 2017 far exceeded the entire Chinese defense budget. So they're really on the rise. So it's interesting when you see just even regular columnists uh, writing these things because it's been talked about at the trumpet for a long time. And, uh, of course, with uh, everything going on with Xi Jinping now, that's big news. So uh, there's a great book uh, that the trumpet, Russia and China and Prophecy, that you can look at. And uh, I don't think it's a mystery to people that China is not the friend of the United States, nor is Russia. But they're happy to work together against the United States. Well, it's fascinating when you look around the world at all these threats, the biggest enemies to America. Which one did we not help build to the state that it's at today? 
Iran, we've given them a clear path to the nuclear weapon, although maybe that'll change under President Trump. Uh, Germany, we personally rebuilt them after they were in devastation following World War II. Uh, China, like we're talking about right now, North Korea, we pledged to keep them from ever getting nuclear weapons, and now, sure enough, they have them because they didn't listen to our diplomatic approach, and they they, they built them anyway because we weren't going to stop them. Uh, And really, the only one that we've focused on in a big way has been Russia. We had the Cold War with them, and we were focused on the Soviet Union collapsing. But even, even this congressman says here about Russia, what a double standard it is when you compare it to how, how we've treated China. Uh, Dana Rohrbacher said, there's a horrible double standard that we have. We have heaped on Russia all types of requirements and restrictions and mandates if they're going to get anything. Uh, and then he says, while China has had no liberalization at all, Russia's had enorm- enormous liberalization. Their churches are full. You have opposition groups and papers in Russia. You have nothing like that in China whatsoever. So basically, because we didn't face China in a Cold War, we're letting them get away with things that we'd never let Russia get away with. Yeah, it's a lot lot going on over there in China and and, uh, and in Russia, too. So make sure you do stop and look at the Trumpet.com. There's quite a few important headlines and programs and so forth. On that topic, uh, one other headline sort of related to that is this is from the Daily Mail. This is big news. Trade wars are good, <laughs> President Trump says. Trump defends new steel and aluminum, or aluminium, as some people like to say, <laughs> tariffs as he defends taxing foreign countries when they, quote, get cute, but markets are spooked all over the world. <laughs> so it's this is something that's happening now. President Trump said Thursday that he would impose 25% tariffs on imported steel and 10% on aluminum. Markets all over the world were spooked by the news, and companies like Toyota and Miller Coors predicted price hikes for consumers. Trump defended his moves on Friday, tweeting that trade wars are good for the U.S. and easy to win when America has trade deficits to begin with. Our steel industry is in bad shape. If you don't have steel, you don't have a country, the president added. Trump renewed his threat of reciprocal tariffs on countries that tax American products at their borders. Although I think there's some, you know, as an American, you're like, yeah, good, but uh, there is a reality of trade wars. You might want to go back and look at the April 2017 uh, Philadelphia Trumpet. Uh, The feature story in the the front cover is Trade Wars Have Begun, and it's by Brad McDonald, and he says, is global trade war about to suddenly turn humanity upside down? Keep in mind, it's about a year ago. The world trade order is currently being reconfigured in an astonishing way. This transformation is already impacting trade relations and facets of some economies, but soon it will significantly impact every national economy, every national government, and every major international relationship. The political and geopolitical ramifications will be extraordinary. What is happening exactly? And then he goes in to talk about it. So go check out that April 2017 Philadelphia Trumpet trade wars have begun. Yeah, and that's a, that was a great article, and it's something that uh, the Trumpet.com has warned about for quite a while, is that even even under a, an administration like this that is more nationalist and does want to bring a lot of jobs and manufacturing back to the U.S., uh, there's a big danger because when we want to start a trade war, uh, probably what Mr. Trump is thinking is that, well, us one-on-one against China or one-on-one against Germany, the U.S. is going to be able to negotiate that and have an advantage. But what if enough nations that hate America, whether openly or secretly, decide to all join up on the opposite side of America in a trade war. When that happens, 
we don't have a chance. And that's probably the one aspect he's not really thinking about. And if you didn't know what the Bible says about it, you probably couldn't envision a bunch of a bunch of nations ganging up on America like that. Yep, a mart of nations that we're going to have to deal with in a siege, and that's written about uh, in Bible prophecy and explained in a lot of the write-ups at the trumpet. So make sure you do check that out. Uh, you're listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Thanks for joining us here on this weekend edition. Uh, Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon, and we have a special guest coming into the studio here today. Uh, it's no surprise when you hear the name that he's related to Grant Turgeon. It's Micah Turgeon, the younger brother. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're Micah. You're uh, are you a senior yet? Uh, junior. Junior at uh, Imperial Academy, which is a school here on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College. So uh, you have the day off from school, and we wanted to bring you in and talk about a couple of things school related, but also just a few other stories as well. And uh, I have one here about young people today. And you're a young person. <laughs> you're younger than, younger than the rest of us. <laughs> this is from The uh, Independent. It says, young adults uh, spend more than six hours per day feeling stressed out, uh, finds a mental health study. A poll of 1,000 18 to 25-year-olds, which was a little older than you, but not by much, uh, found that money, appearance, and career worries, as well as fears about the future, mean a large chunk of their time is spent feeling anxious or under pressure one in ten feel they have no one to turn to to discuss their concerns, leaving them to face their fears alone. So there's, I don't know that this is uncommon for people to have these types of fears, but what's interesting about it is that uh, it also talks about the social media aspect. It says despite those aged 18 to 25 having an average of 165 friends on social media, 85% still had moments where they feel lonely. It's because, you know, I think it's because the social media friends aren't really friends. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. But, you know, it's easy to say, yes, I'm your friend or I join your group. But it's not the same as having a buddy or, you know, a friend you go and talk to. Agreed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, a lot of these social media accounts, uh, the people who you're around, they uh, post pictures of themselves and they, like, put themselves, whenever they're on vacation, they post those pictures and people see those and they're like, oh, man, I'm not doing anything with my life. And then people are putting their best the like hiding everything else and putting only the best parts of themselves online. And that's the only thing people see. And it's easy to get stressed out about that. Yeah, for sure. Actually, we talked about that the other day. There's a actual, it's, it's a, considered a mental health disease. It's selfieitis or something like that. Selfitis. Selfitis right. where you take <laughs> all these selfies of yourself and you can't stop uh, doing it. So the, it, I think the big takeaway from this uh, is not that just people have concerns and worries. It's not uncommon, but we're becoming more and more isolated, I think, to where you used to be able to go and, you know, kind of decompress and talk to your friends or go play a sport or something. But more and more people have these online communities, but they're not, it's not the same as being right there with another person. Yeah, I was once on Twitter and Facebook, but to Micah's credit, he has always, by his own choice, stayed completely off of those uh, those platforms. And it is it is weird when you step back and you look at these different social media sites sometimes because... You know, Facebook, you're allowed to poke people. <laughs> Twitter, yeah. you're allowed to follow people. And if you did those things in real life, it's just not its not a natural thing. Uh, thats Those are just a couple out of many reasons that just show uh, having friends online, so-called friends, uh, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's more about uh, having face-to-face -face interactions. And how old-fashioned does that seem now with all these new technologies? Yeah, well, one of the things that's really nice, I, and I think there's 
plenty of schools that would do this, but one thing that's nice here at the Imperial Academy is you do uh, you do still see, um, I don't know if you want to call it, when you're younger you call it recess. I guess when you're older you call it lunch. <laughs> it doesn't seem as cool to say recess, but yeah, the kids are out there, the young people, they're socializing, they're playing games. You know, uh, my son goes there, so I hear about the great legendary football tales every day, <laughs> and and it's just it's just a healthy part of growing up having having a peer group and having friends and and actually uh, socializing with them. You know, and and instead of just uh, living in sort of this online community where, as this survey shows, just a lot of people still feel pretty lonely and they feel pretty isolated even though they've got this big online circle, you know. So anyway, interesting study there. So the top 20 worries for young adults are number one's money, uh, which I suppose would be true. Two, the future. Three, appearance. Four, weight. Five, health. (laughs) 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 So it's pretty common. I don't think think those are too unusual. But I did think it is worth noting just in terms of being stressed out. If you look at Matthew 6, uh, verse 25 through 33, Christ gives some great admonitions about, don't worry about all these physical things. Not that you don't have to plan, but don't be all anxious and be all worried. The great thing he says is, you know, which of you taking thought can add one cubit unto your stature? In other words, if you're concerned about being too short, you're going to really worry about it and get taller. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And he makes a point to, uh, to really seek God's kingdom first, and then God will take care of all those other things. It's interesting, too. A lot of those people said they felt like there was no one they could turn to when they have stresses and that just shows that they don't have any relationship with God whatsoever. Yeah. That's a really discouraging part of uh, this article here. Just that uh, so many people feel alone, which like you said, it does show that they might not have the best relationship with God, but also what about family life? What about actual friends that you actually go out and do things with uh, instead of being in the online world all the time? That's, that's where, uh, it's quite a paradox because you can get on a computer, you can literally do anything in the world, but at the same time, it feels like it's closing in on you. And it's it's almost like a, a horrible feeling of helplessness that you get if that is the majority of your life just being spent online. Yeah. So, Micah, you, you have your own just choice. You've decided not to be much into the social media. What's, yeah. your, what's your thinking behind that? Well, it's a lot of time, and I um, don't have too much of that at IA. They give us a lot of homework and I'm in a bunch of uh, other activities like choir and baseball so I just didn't want to waste my time with that and it's just time waster so yeah enough to do it's uh it's easy to get pulled into it I suppose and so uh anyway interesting study there we have uh, a couple other stories we wanted to take a look at here bringing Mike into the mix uh, I did mention earlier I, we're all football fans right so yes. and I did mention earlier the the, the like uh, playing football with your friends uh, and I just thought this was an amazing feat of athleticism. And I like to bring those up from time to time. It's amazing what some humans can do. Uh, Josh Allen, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Yes, I, I had yes. not. Okay. He's a uh, he's, uh, uh, combine coach. Ryan uh, Flaherty says, Wyoming quarterback can throw the ball 90 yards. That's in the air, folks. <laughs> and you, sometimes if you're watching a football game, you see the guy threw a 90-yard touchdown, but most cases he threw it 20 yards and the guy ran the other 70. Mm-hmm. This is 90 yards in the air. That's, I mean, they say he might break the records for the f- for the strongest arm. If he can throw the ball 70 miles an hour, that would be the record. So, I mean, a baseball, you know, you can zip it, but a football coming at you 70 miles an hour, <sighs> going 90, you know, 90 yards, if he threw it that far, that's – that's a pretty impressive stat. Well, that's a that's a finger breaker and a chest crusher right there. If you try to catch a pass like that, uh, a lot like uh, 
Brett Favre was known to do to some of his poor receivers. Yep. Uh, uh, actually, the Bills had a backup quarterback a couple years ago named Cardale Jones, and he went out uh, during a break in the Ohio State football game because that was his alma mater, and he got down on one knee, and I think he threw it 70 yards which was farther than the current Ohio State starting quarterback could throw it from his feet. So there are some some people like that who just have a gift. I'm sure there's a way you can develop arm strength, but no matter how hard some of us work, we'll never be able to throw it 90 yards. No, Jamarcus Russell could do the same. He yeah, one knee and he could throw it 70, I think. But he washed out because he just – it's not all about just zipping it super, super fast. There's more to it than that. So what's the furthest you've ever thrown it on the playground? Uh, probably forty yards at most. That's pretty. That's a pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Guess I think you know. Uh, I was wondering what you'd say because I've heard some. You know, sometimes people exaggerate. Say, ah, I threw that ball sixty yards. I'm like, I don't know, sixty yards. Five miles. <laughs> that's a that's a yeah. It's a long way. <laughs> so it's interesting. You two. You two are brothers. Obviously, what's the age gap here? Yes, oldest and youngest, right? Yes, eight, uh, and, eight, half. eight and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So according to the statistics, uh, if I understand them correctly. Uh, Oh, Mike, you're Generation uh, Z, yes. and, and Grant, you're considered a millennial. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's some differences here between this uh, these generations, and I was going to throw out a few uh, stats here and see what you guys think about this. But talking about uh, devices that people use, uh, the millennials, the old-timers now, <laughs> they're on their desktop 16.4 hours a week, uh, smartphone 14.8 hours, and TV 14.8 hours. The Gen Z, they're on their smartphone a little less, actually, 15.4. TV, less, 13.2. And laptop, less, 10.6. So they're, for some reason, Generation Z, even though they're on these devices, they're on them less than the millennials are. So actually what we've discovered here today rings true. There's not people in the Generation Z aren't on these as much. Seem accurate? Well, the one thing about that is probably... Uh, like Micah is still living with his parents. So there's going to be a restriction at least, yeah. which I don't know. A lot of parents probably don't put restrictions on that at all. So maybe that's just a, t- a trend that some of these kids have more discipline, but others probably also are getting their time restricted too. Yeah. And, and probably not working it, it's you know, full time. Sometimes that has something to do with what you're doing, but I do wonder if there's a little bit of a backlash. Like every generation looks at the one before it oh, and yeah. kind of says, I don't like, this or that aspect you think that's true micah well millennials have a bad rap so dude they do yeah so <laughs> maybe generation z is seeing what they're doing making some changes not, not trying to do that <laughs> it's, it, I, it's funny because i would think the trend would keep going but it seems like it's kind of going the other direction well yeah look how look how pathetic a lot of the millennials have become just by going to college getting brainwashed by radical leftist teachers and then thinking that the world owes them something when you have to go out there with a little bit of humility and be willing to work hard and climb the ladder. A lot of people around my age are refusing to do that. They think they can take a gender studies class in college and that'll somehow benefit them in the real life, in the real world. Hmm. Yeah. Here's an, here's a weekly TV usage. And it's interesting. And this looks at four generations. Advertisers trying to reach people through television, but uh, the, the baby boomers, they spend 24.1 hours a week watching television. Generation X, that's my generation. But some people say the greatest generation, but I don't get into labels. Uh, <laughs> nobody says that. Uh, 19.7 hours on TV. Millennials, 14.8. And then Gen Z's, 13.2. Less and less TV. So, Which is really fascinating to me because, I don't know, I always thought 
we, my generation spent more time like outside and doing things because we didn't have all the devices, but maybe, maybe the TV is more of a comfort because we're used to it more than say some of these other smartphones and things. Well, yeah. Changing, changing technology too. I mean, um, I prefer TV, but most people in my generation would probably turn to the smartphone, to the laptop, uh, be streaming shows or streaming games instead of watching it on television there's been a trend of cutting the cord so that might play into it too because probably like you said a lot of older generations do get outside more or they do at least try to read or socialize a little bit more than just being online yeah they make the point here too that it's uh multiple platforms for these younger generations yeah so it's harder to reach them in one spot one other note to look at here top social media sites use daily uh, millennials uh, spend a lot of time on Facebook uh, and uh, YouTube, uh, Snapchat, et cetera, et cetera, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, and Generation Z is uh, somewhat the same, although the numbers are a little different. A little less time on Facebook, a little more time on YouTube, which is interesting because we were talking before we came on the air, Mike, and you were talking about your generation being the, the Tide Pods. Oh, yeah. Right. So but there is this <laughs> there is this like weird phenomenon where younger, I guess, teenagers, they they'll start trying these sometimes dangerous and often ridiculous. I don't know what what do you call them that just experiments. And and then the whole the whole group starts doing them like Tide Pods was one. There's been other ones, too. I can't it's think like of like ice and salt, like giving yourself a burn on your skin. Oh, yeah. It's all wow. designed to like hurt yourself like see how much you can take or something like that yeah uh, it's like so, a toughness thing or something i'm not sure yeah so that's something that generation z is starting to do so we don't want to give you guys too much credit because mm. <laughs> yeah. well, we're spending less time on the uh internet and tv doing these stupid stunts so that's probably where the uh, from. it's not just going out and flying a kite <laughs> right it's doing something it's extremely and, uh, dangerous tide pods so yeah that's where our time's going yeah so some, some interesting numbers they're just looking at the uh the um, uh, differences between the generations. Uh, oh, actually, this, there's one other stat here that's kind of interesting. Uh, Generation Z would prefer a cool product over a cool experience, which is interesting. They would rather just have something as opposed to going out and doing something as opposed to previous generation. Mike, do you think that's true for you? Um, I'm not sure. I'd rather go out and uh, be with my friends over, like, having some gadget or something because that wears off pretty soon, but you'll remember an experience. Hmm. So I don't think that's true for me, but yeah, well it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's I guess depending on uh, how many people are asked, that's, uh, that's what they would prefer. Well, it's gotta be true of most of that younger generation. If you just look around, um, any mall or any, anywhere in public, everyone's on the latest iPhone. Uh, the Apple store is always the by far the most mm-hmm. populated yep. uh, store in any mall or any area where that store is. So people are looking for a gadget that then, again, they can go online and basically build this bubble around themselves so they don't have to interact with real people. That's just a sad uh, trend right now, but that's it is how it's going. Yeah, the other day, actually, I was... I was taking a jog around my neighborhood and I came upon uh, this group of young people, teens, they'd be uh, Generation Z, I guess, and they were walking a dog 
or the dog was with them, and there was three of them, and they were all, each of them were on a device. So they were walking sort of as a group, but kind of individually. And so I ran by them, and I was eyeballing that dog. I'm like, I hope that dog's under control. <laughs> I ran by him, and the dog started growling at me, wanted to chase me. So they kind of came out of their world and yelled at the dog, and the dog left me alone. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they, they were walking together, yet sort of individually doing things on screen. So they were kind of a group, a community, but yet in their own individual worlds. It was kind of a strange thing to see. It's almost like uh, bondage, like seeing how people are so tied into stuff like that, that even if you get around the dinner table for a family meal, everyone has to have their device right there with them to check on the latest uh, notification that they get. Or even like you said, going outside, going for a walk, but basically canceling out the benefit of that by still staring at a screen, which hurts you mentally and physically. So we're so addicted to these devices now that we can't truly enjoy doing anything else. We have to have that device on us at all times. Yeah, it becomes very addictive. Wanted to finish today uh, talking a little bit about a really uh, great thing that happened at Imperial Academy, which was a uh, science fair that they had recently. A uh, total of 40 Imperial Academy high school students presented science projects about ice, plant growth, (laughs) uh, lots of other things, black powder, a wind turbine, uh, some of the stuff I don't even know what it is. Anyway, lots of neat stuff uh, and much more. It was on February 15th, and that was done here at the Performing Arts Building on the campus uh, of uh, Herbert W. Armstrong College. It was the school's third annual science fair competition, and it includes uh, ninth through uh, 11th graders. And one of the things that's interesting, and also 12th graders too in different categories, one of the things that's interesting is that because there are a lot of online students for Imperial Academy, everyone has to make a video. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Like, Mike, you're locally here, but you still have to make a video and, and play the video so everyone's kind of on equal footing for these projects. Yeah, and they um they shorten the time to two minutes because there's so many students that they used to have, like, five-minute videos, and then they'd, like, show certain portions. But this year they showed everyone's in their entirety, and it was, like, at about um, an hour and a half. So there's a lot of students with two minute videos. Yeah, so it's uh it's interesting how the technology is making it possible to have sort of this global school and all work on these projects. Uh what what uh over the years what's been your favorite project that you've done? Um well, I've always tried to make my videos funny <laughs> and um last year I did this uh a demonstration about a the digestive system. So that was interesting about food and all the chemistry that goes on inside the body. So I uh, added a lot of sound effects and uh, a lot of <laughs> graphics. And I tried to make that one really funny, and I, I think people liked it. So you're kind of you're kind of uh, working on two levels. Like you want to show the science, but you want to make it funny. So mm-hmm. you're kind of like the modern Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a career in that. Hopefully you're not a climate change alarmist like he is now. <laughs> except for, Yeah, except for the climate change uh, information. Yeah, Mike definitely uh, took a lot of artistic license with that that video it's it's one of those things where you laugh the whole time uh, and hopefully you learn something too but the the fact that it's so entertaining actually makes you subconsciously learn something at the same time yeah well you have to keep people interested if they're going to learn uh and uh and so then they give out um certain awards i guess for the top did you do you want to divulge if you came in first place or not i've I've never gotten anything (laughs) you gotta keep working (laughs) Yeah. Well, if they if they did take into account the awful recorder music that you put in the background of your video last year, you might have won something from that. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. So that's and then uh, so they do that every year. So you have one last shot at it, I guess, coming up. Yeah. 
and uh, any ideas of what you're gonna i don't want to let the cat out of the bag here for your competitors but well i'll be in physics next year so i'll be doing something with that but um yeah nothing so far nothing's come to mind yet we were yeah i was talking to somebody the other day they they had a one of their children also uh, made a video and uh we were thinking about humorous stuff you could put in there and i, I always think back to like the 1980s and some of like the funny tv shows and stuff so but that's my generation so you, you'd have to think about more of your generation because when we were in grade school we had to watch they made us watch this this series it was called mr goodbody because <laughs> i thought about it because you're talking about the digestive tract and he was this guy and he'd tell you about the way your body worked which was fine, but the thing that was uncomfortable is he had uh, one of those like spandex skin tight suits on, but he had like the insides, <laughs> picture the graphics, so you could see like the intestines and everything. And uh, I just, I just I can't believe they made us watch that. I still think about that from time to time. So if you're looking for some ideas, if you did that, I think that would really go over pretty well. If only you told me about that two years ago. That would have added so much. I'm sure I could find something for physics. Uh, that's something you can't see. <laughs> right. You see guys like that in right. skin tight clothes. Well, that's why, yeah. I would, we were uh, all across the nation because my wife and I were the same age. And I said, did you ever watch that? She's like, yeah, we had to watch that. Oh. She she lived in Washington. I lived in Wisconsin. But we all had to watch the same sort of educational digestive propaganda. The poor scarred children having yeah. to watch that. It's very memorable. So if anyone's in my generation, you might remember Mr. Goodbody. But that was uh, the science fair there at Imperial Academy and uh, a pretty exciting activity. And they do that uh, every year. So uh, just uh, some updates on some of those activities that are going on. That's all the time we have for today here on Trumpet Radio Live. Uh, thanks for joining us here on this weekend edition. Make sure you listen for the Kia David program. It's a new one this weekend on the Isaiah Bulla. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. That's coming up here in a bit. For myself, Dwight Falk, and for Grant Turgeon and Micah today. Micah Turgeon coming in as well. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.